Before we begin, I'd like to just take a quick moment to let you guys know how much I appreciate the great team here at McCurry's Home Furnishings. They've partnered with me to make this show and podcast happen. McCurry's is unlike any furniture store in Sacramento. Not only do they carry the best furniture in town, they're also family-owned and operated for three generations. Did you know that McCurry's also offers complimentary design services? That's right. The same services, which could cost you hundreds an hour, are offered all complimentary with purchase. I love my furniture from McCurry's, and I know you will too. Now, on to the show. Welcome to the Jerry Reynolds Show from the McCreary's Studio and the home of McCreary's Furnishings, the finest in Sacramento. And uh, boy, am I uh, really thrilled to have a not just a friend, but a great guest, uh, well known to all you uh, Sacramento Kings uh, sports fans or sports fans just about everywhere in America, Mr. Grant Napier. And Grant, it's uh, just great to you spend the time here. Well, I got to tell you, this is a flashback to 1980 and 89 when we had the Jerry Reynolds show yeah. at the Channel 31 studios. I, <laughs> you and I used to go in and do a half hour TV show every week. So yeah, you know? I hope this ends up better than that one. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but Grant was the host and I was coaching at that time. And I think what we had about a year. Yeah. It? Yeah. They, the legendary Jerry Reynolds show, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, remember when we had Larry Bird come to the studio I, that I day? Did. We I, literally had people lined up on the driveway, and which was fascinating to us because I don't know how anyone ever found that out. Yeah, that was amazing. You know, and I mean, of course, I mean, obviously, when you, you have the, these great stars, I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> Everybody seems to yeah. know, but I mean, it's so nice and always appreciated Larry doing that, you know, obviously. Like, especially since our pay was zero. <laughs> just yeah, like just, that was something. I mean, seriously, Larry Bird came to the studio that day and did a half hour with us. And, you know, that, that was in Larry's heyday. I mean, Larry yeah. Bird was in the Channel 31 studios and all the people that worked at the station were trying to come in to, you know, meet Larry. Uh, yeah. It was great. It was it was fascinating to have him in the studio. But we really had a lot of fun doing that show. I mean, it was a low production show. Oh, yeah. And we look back on it now and we're like, wow, we can't. I can't believe that we put ourselves in in that type of an environment. But it I was know, great. You know, it's, it's interesting, too, because I think later that evening, you know, he came out the house and. And of course, we had a few beers, or actually a whole <laughs> lot of beers. Right. And and uh, you know, then the next night he goes out and just kicks my Kills butt. Us. Yeah. Right, right. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. but anyway, that's the way that yep. that kind of goes. But uh, you know, for hey, the the first question I got to ask you, I was looking at Wikipedia and trying <laughs> to get some information. Uh, your middle initial is. Oh, and I, does that stand for Orwell? <laughs> my middle initial is H. Don't believe anything you read on uh, Wikipedia. My oh. middle name is Harrington, uh, named after the minister of uh, my parents' church. Oh. And so uh, my middle name is Harrington. I don't know where the O came from. Oh, okay. So maybe it's for, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, yeah, that could be. But I, I was going to say, I just wondered about it. I saw that. And I didn't, yeah. I didn't make a lot of sense. And no. Now, that you, you know, you mentioned you, you, you know, your parents. I mean, I was lucky enough to, to get to spend time with your father. Sure. And, Really enjoyed him, you know, and I, I mean, such a great sports fan. And yep. I, I know going back to your childhood, obviously oh that had a real impact on you growing up, you know. Oh, gosh. I mean, growing up as a kid on Long Island, uh, my dad uh, had season tickets for both the Giants and the Jets. And really at the age of three, my dad took me to my first ever NFL game at Yankee Stadium uh, to watch the Giants play because they played at Yankee Stadium for all those years before they moved into the New Meadowlands mm -hmm. back in 76. But so I started going to NFL games uh, when I was three years old. And then literally every single Sunday growing up, 
without fail, I was at an NFL game. I was either at Yankee Stadium watching the Giants or Shea Stadium watching Joe Namath and the Jets. And I loved the Giants and still do to this day, as you know, <laughs> I know, and hated the Jets. And I still do to this day. And it was funny because all of the fans at Chase Stadium used to kid my dad. Why are you bringing him to these games? Because <laughs> one week I'd be rooting for the Patriots. Two weeks later, I'd be rooting for the Colts. <laughs> then I'd be rooting for the Bills because yeah. the Jets fans are like, who is yeah. this punk? Yeah, you know, they, they, well, hey, Mr. Newton, yeah, tell that, <laughs> leave that little prick home. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the Giants were uh, my dad's favorite team and. Uh, so growing up, we uh, it was fascinating. And w- w- our church was in Manhattan, which took an hour to get there. But I remember as a kid always being pulled out of Sunday school early because we had to get on the subway to go to either Shea Stadium or to Yankee mm-hmm. Stadium to go to an NFL game. And then in the winter months, uh, my dad would very often take us to a Rangers game, a matinee, because the Rangers always played, it seemed like, on Sunday afternoons. So we'd go mm-hmm. to a lot of hockey games. You know, growing up as a kid, Jerry, you couldn't get tickets to see the Knicks. They were too good. Well, I was going to yeah. say, that was the time when yeah. the Knicks were, were obviously— Couldn't get tickets. You know, just you couldn't uh, get obviously, in. Yeah. you know, I'm, I like to say, both of us— uh, that's one thing. One thing about being old, we could remember the Knicks when they were yep. truly great. Yeah. So I mean, we were, literally as a kid, I was at a game all the time. In addition to playing all kinds of sports, and my dad never missed one of my games. He had his own business. He was an insurance broker in New York City, and I'll never forget playing. You know, even in junior high school and high school, you know, games would start right at four o'clock. And at 3.55, there would be my dad walking across the field in a suit, just getting off the Long Island Railroad and. And I really mean this. I don't ever remember playing a game in either junior high school or high school without my dad in attendance. Home, away, whether I was playing high school football or high school lacrosse, which was I really good at, my dad was at every single game as, as growing up. Yeah. Never missed a game. Yeah, I think my, I, my pretty much had the same experience, you know, even uh, – my dad, it's when he could. I mean, there's there's some work-related things where he couldn't get off, you yeah. know, as a laborer and that, that sort of thing. But he'd always be there. My mom would always say he'd always – but he'd always go sit on the visitor side and, uh, you know, and then try to say, well, boy, that, that guy, that is, don't you think he's pretty good? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but he'd never yeah. tell – but he'd never tell me, you know. He'd always – after games, he'd, he'd say, well, yeah. boy, yeah, he'd always praise all the other guys, you know, but, he, but that's – you know, that was yeah, that. but you know, again, growing up uh, outside of New York, and we lived really in an area where you wouldn't know New York City was anywhere near there. I mean, you know, we were very suburban. Syosset? Yeah, Syosset, yep. New York, you know, with beautiful trees and lots of land. And uh, I mean, where I lived, we didn't have a lot of land. We Well, it was a half acre lot, but the point is... It was great because you were far enough away from the city where you didn't know the city was there, and yet you were close enough where you could be in the city within an hour. Yeah. And with that comes all of your sports and all your, you know, every sport. We used to go to the Milrose Games, which was the track and field event every year at Madison Square Garden. I mean, we were at everything. We mm-hmm. were at everything. Yeah, I always, uh, I always remember some trips uh, to to Long Island. Uh, I recruited Footsie Walker from Southampton. How about that, huh? Yeah, you not know, a bad been, area to go to. Yeah, a beautiful area. Yeah. You know, now Footsie wasn't in, in one of the exclusive <laughs> parts of it, but but yeah. uh, you know that. And then I always remember going to Long Island Lutheran uh, several oh, times. Oh, sure. To Bill guys. Wennington went there. Yeah, you know they they always had some top. Players. That was five minutes from where I grew up. Yeah. So you get an idea of where I grew up. Yeah, no, beautiful. Right. I, I I thought it was, it was a great area. Yes. You know, yeah. really, and I mean, mm-hmm. like you say, I didn't. 
the, the, at that time, the city scared me still, you know, I mean, sure. I, it took me about yeah, 10, I got you. Little, it took me 10 years in the NBA before I, I ever from left French the hotel. Lick, trying to survive well, I, in New York city. I was, I mean, <laughs> I, have, I, I, I won't deny that, you know, I, I swear I was a, probably in the league 10 years before I had any yeah. comfort zone getting out of the hotels and stuff. I just assumed I'd get mugged. Uh, but as you know, too, the last, 20 years, I, I just enjoyed the heck out of it. You Absolutely. Know, I, couldn't, I couldn't wait to get to New York. Yep. Just I just love to walk there, the different neighborhoods. That's and, great. I mean, you know, as you know, it's always, yep. you want a sandwich at 2 o'clock in the morning. You can get it. You, you don't have to walk it. far. You don't have to walk far. Out your door and turn left, there yep. it is. You know, yep. that type stuff. But now, when you were in high school, did you play uh, any other sports? Besides, I know you got a lacrosse scholarship. You were very yeah. good. Did you play other sports? Yeah, I played football. I was a uh, uh, starting defensive lineman, uh, high school football. And I stopped playing basketball in ninth grade because I wanted to concentrate more on lacrosse because it was my best sport, but I didn't want to give up football. So played high school football and high school lacrosse. And just, you know, I reflect back to those days. I think everyone would say they had a great time in high school. It was great. We had really good teams, but just the participation and I was always, my dad always brought up because you play sports because you want to have fun, not because you want to make a ton of money and you want to do this. I was fortunate enough to get a lacrosse scholarship, but I was never brought up uh, on the way I think a lot of our kids are being brought up today where you have to choose one sport and these parents have these illusions of grandeur that you're going to be professional athletes and make all that money. My dad always said, hey, you're playing because it's fun to play and, and you're not going to be a professional athlete. And you're playing because it's fun to play sports and the enjoyment of sports. It was never stressed on me for any other reason that we were playing sports. And I think, unfortunately, there were too many youth now that have the, the wrong they're, – they're, they're, they're being taught false – and I'm not saying don't chase your dreams. Sure. But you know this. Yeah. I mean, for you know, very, 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 very few of our athletes that we see on the high school field ever go on to play Division One college, and and even less than that go on to play in the pros. Yeah, and there's so many of the, the great stars have been late developers, weren't even outstanding until late in their high school career or even in sure. high school. Hey, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you this story. I was fortunate enough two years ago to be at a uh, friend's birthday party, and he put uh, me and my wife at a table with Roger Staubach and Roger Staubach's wife. And in Roger Staubach, who, of course, everyone knows, one of the great quarterbacks to ever play, Hall of Fame, went to the Naval Academy, served our country. But I got talking to Roger Staubach, and I asked Roger, I, I, we, we were there for three or four hours, so we had a lot of things to talk about. And I said, I'm just curious, Roger, when you were playing for the Cowboys, was it a big deal to go play at Yankee Stadium? And he said, oh, for me, it was a great deal because baseball was my first love. And he said, I played baseball at the Naval Academy, too. And he said, I didn't even start playing football until I think he said his junior year in high school. And I just thought that was fascinating mm -hmm. that, you know, Roger Staubach, his first love was baseball. And yet he picked up football at that late stage in his career. I mean, even on the Kings, Dwayne Dedman didn't start playing basketball really until he was late in high school because his mother would not allow him because of their religious beliefs. And it's you hear stories about that all the time. I just, it bothers me, and it really does bother me, that our children are almost being forced to choose a sport to play year-round 
at such an early age. Yeah, at junior high school or something like that, 13, 14, they're told you got to pick a sport. Travel teams. You, you know, and, and I was like to say, uh, so many guys, I always remember Tim Duncan really was a swimmer until like his senior year in high school, was recruited right. kind of on a whim by Wake Forest, and of course the rest is history. Yeah. You know, that so, sort of thing is, or Elijah, mm-hmm. uh, Akeem Elijah Wan really just started playing basketball when he got to Houston, I think, pretty yeah. much, other than being a seven-footer. And, you know, uh, but I, I always say, too, you know, the uh, I really, and I, th- I think just pretty much most of the professional athletes would tell you that you know, it really helps to play a lot of sports, you know. I'm, Absolutely. You know, I, I I still think one of the things that I'm most proud of is I still have the the record for that they told me in Springs Valley High School for tw- 12 varsity letters. Wow. And I always, That's I, pretty impressive. Yeah, I always, t- I, t- I always tell Bird, and he said, well, it's probably easy to get them back then. <laughs> but, uh, I said, well, it, it, it was. That's pretty but, impressive. But, but I mean, yeah. you know, but the idea was you just, like you said, you just played. You know, baseball season yeah. game, you played. Yeah. Uh, track, you know, you played. Ba- ba- I mean, now I always certainly uh, played basketball kind of year-round because it was Indiana, you know. Sure, of course. You'd, you'd play baseball and then maybe in the evening go to the courts and play basketball. Well, know, it's also now there's more technology in our data and our science saying that, you know, uh, our young youth that play the same sport all year round are more susceptible to certain injuries because when you play different sports, you're using different muscles and different movements with your body. And look at all of the young injuries that we're seeing even in the NBA. Oh, I agree. And we're now seeing this, the generation that's coming into the NBA have been playing year-round basketball for a long time. The AAU, the travel circuits, and now they're saying, gee, there's a correlation between our young athletes starting to break down and getting these serious injuries and playing a certain sport year-round. And i, I got to tell you, that makes a lot of sense to me. Well, it does to me, too. I, yeah. I really think, you know, and then I think you see even the, the burnout part of it. Yeah. I always remember, and you know, Billy Owens was a, sure. you know, a great high school player, the number one high school player and kind of a pushed, I think, by a, a really demanding father and mm-hmm. a really nice, nice young man. Yep. I mean, but... But he never had the career he should have. I, he just didn't really. I mean, for one of a better term, I always thought he was just kind of a. I've had enough. You know, I'm playing it. Yeah, he didn't have the to... drive that uh, you would expect. I mean, if you would, you know, the saying is, boy, if you could take this guy's head and put it on this guy's body, you would have the greatest player of all time. Yeah. You know, if you could have taken any number of players that you coached back then, and and put their drive and their desire into Billy Owens. Yeah. You would have had one of the great players of his generation. Yeah, no, he uh, really, right. that's exactly right. I mean, you know, how do you, but that's the way it is in probably every profession. You know, you just, you know, you like every player to, like today, like to play as hard as yep. Rashawn Holmes, but, uh, it doesn't you happen. know, the creator right. doesn't make a lot of them. You know, that's the old Bill Russell statement, you know, when I worked for him and he'd always say, well, God just makes, a, you know, four or five like us every, dec- <laughs> every decade or two, <laughs> you know, so now when, uh, now, when say during your high school career and all, when did you start, or in high school, yep. did you start thinking about radio, TV oh, as yeah. a career? I started thinking of radio and TV when I was really in second or third grade, believe it or not. Uh, I used to, first of all, I got into this business because I got absolutely infatuated by listening to Marv Albert do the Rangers and the Knicks on radio. Mm-hmm. And it would be where I would listen to those games all the time. And really on the playground at Split Rock School, when I was in second, third, fourth grade, I lived right 
around the corner from the school. So at lunchtime, I was allowed to leave and go home for lunch. But the kids that took the bus had to stay there, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so I would run home and I would make a grilled cheese sandwich real quick. And I'd run back and reserve the basketball court outside so that when the bell rung for the kids to get out of lunch, we had the court. And I would literally announce the game and play it at the same time. Oh, geez. Yeah, I would literally play and announce at the same time. And it evolved to a point where when I went to junior high school, Whenever we had a class assembly that ran early, before the bell rung, you had to sit there in the big assembly room, and the students would all start chanting my name. And I would have to literally walk up on the stage and do a mock play-by-play of a Rangers or a Knicks game. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. And I would literally add commercials. Uh-huh. I mean, I would literally be doing the games and go, time out, Knicks, and now this from Ford. And I would do a <laughs> Ford commercial. Or And and I, I did that. And then, fortunately, uh, my high school had a radio station that was run by the students. But I couldn't do that much because I was playing football and playing lacrosse. But I did a little bit. But I always tell students, and if there's anyone that's watching this that wants to be in broadcasting, you know, the great thing about what I do, you don't have to have a job to practice. And I used to practice all the time on my own. Mm-hmm. And again, I, we grew up in an era with no internet and very few options on TV. As a matter of fact, when I was growing up, a lot of times the Knicks weren't even on live TV. You'd have to watch it on tape delay. The NBA finals weren't even shown live. Right. Yeah. So I used to turn the volume down on the TV or I would sit in my room and make believe I was on TV and I'd have a camera in front of me. I'd make believe there was a camera in front of me and I would just try to talk about a story. So let's say I wanted to talk about last night's Knicks game. Mm-hmm. I would in my mind get three or four points. I would make believe there was a camera in my room and I would try to just do a sports cast in my room. So I was practicing because it's really uh, incredible how everyone gets their start in this business. And before you even ask me, I'll just lead you into that. I was blessed to go to Bowling Green to play lacrosse, but they had a really good and I didn't even know when I was recruited for lacrosse, I'll never forget this. I went out my senior year in high school and I was out there in February and Bowling Green, without me even knowing it, had a division one powerhouse hockey team. And you know how much I love. hockey. Oh, I know. Yeah. And they were playing Ohio State and hockey on Friday and Saturday night. And I was put up at a fraternity house with all the lacrosse players for my visit there, which wasn't bad, by the way. And we went to the hockey game on both Friday and Saturday night. And half the players on that team ended up playing in the National Hockey League. But before I got on the plane to fly back to New York, I had already made my decision that that's where I was going to go to school. I had such a great time and just loved everything about it. And there was no pro lacrosse. And I knew I could go there and play as a freshman. And, you know, we were actually pretty good. But in terms of what they had with radio, it was great for me because I went and got really involved in the campus station my freshman year. And because I had had so much experience, I was able to start doing Division One, some Division One football and Division One basketball. And then my junior year, uh, I was able to get an internship at the station that was a commercial station in town that did all the hockey, all the basketball, and the football at Bowling Green. But they weren't the official station for football, but they still did it. So my junior year, I had they gave me my own sports show to produce twice a week, 15 minutes. I would edit it. I would, you know, what's not today with digital, you'd get a little razor blade and you'd have the audio tape and you would put it in this little thing and you'd splice it. You'd get a little piece of scotch tape. And that's how you would edit the 15 minute program that I did. Uh And it's always very time consuming. But I also did a lot of the Bowling Green hockey back then. And I'll never forget, we'd get on the, the bus on Thursday 
and we would drive 10 hours, let's say, to northern Michigan, the Upper Peninsula. Mm -hmm. And, you know, before you go, I'd have to make sure that I all the equipment that I needed, you know, you had to check and double check. Because once you're up there, you're, you, you know, you what's in your little case is what you're going to have to work yeah, with. Right. So I would double check. I, you know, the last thing you want to do is get up to do a broadcast and not have the right equipment. And so I would literally go up to the arena, set up all my equipment, and then I would be a one man band. I would do the play-by-play. -play. I would do the interviews in between the periods that I would record ahead of time. So I might interview one of the star players or the coach. I would do the whole pregame show. I would do the first, second, third period, all of the uh, in-between period stuff, and then the postgame show. And I would do that on Friday and Saturday night. And so I got great experience in college doing hockey. And really, uh, I don't even think I've ever said this before. My dream coming out of college was to be a pro hockey announcer. I didn't even think about doing basketball, although I used to do a lot of basketball. Mm -hmm. My first love, and you know how much I love hockey. Oh, yeah. No, I was going to say, that doesn't surprise me a lot. Really. Yeah. And, but, 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 and I always tell students this as well. Don't ever limit yourself. If you want to be a baseball announcer, that's great. But if someone comes by and says, hey, they need someone to uh, announce your football or basketball, you better be able to jump on that. Well, don't, yeah, don't you think, I mean, as a professional in your field, I mean, you have to have – you you really do the, the ability to to maintain. Well, I've job. been blessed because, as you know, I did the Raiders on TV for five years in the preseason. Uh, back in the mid '90s, I filled in for Randy Hahn doing Sharks games, which was so I fulfilled my dream. I've done NHL games during mm -hmm. the regular season, but you know, we always talk about okay, you have to be prepared when you get your opportunity in this business, and it does help to know people. And my dad's mixed doubles tennis partner that they played in this outdoor club every summer in New York. Uh, his name was Vic Piano. And he, my dad's mixed doubles partner was his wife. And he owned what they call the Mislu Sports Network, which was really basically ESPN before ESPN mm -hmm. became yeah, I remember. what it is. Uh -huh. And they did a lot of the bowl games, a lot of the college football games. And after my senior year in high school, I was working uh, still in Bowling Green. And Vic Piano had always said to my dad, hey, if there's anything we can do for Grant, let me know. Make a long story short, Bowling Green made it to the California Bowl. And Mislu is doing a game. So I call up Mr. Piano, and he gives me the name of Bill Schwing, the executive producer. Now, I was doing Bowling Green football, but as I said, we weren't the official, official station. Uh -huh. We were not allowed to do the California Bowl on radio because the official station could do it. You couldn't do it both. So anyway, I call Bill Schwing. Never forget the conversation. I go, Mr. Schwing, hi, my name is Grant Napier. I was given your number by, uh, by Mr. Piano. And he said, yeah, what can I do for you? And I explained that, you know, I, with Bowling Green, doing the games, they're going to be in the California Bowl. And he said, okay, well, we're having a production meeting at this hotel at 6 o'clock on Friday. Uh, just come to the production meeting. So thank goodness for my dad. He paid for my airline ticket to go to uh, California. I had never been to California uh, flew through San Francisco into Fresno. And so anyway, I show up to this meeting on the Friday night and there's probably 10 people in there and I'm just sitting down. No one even asked me who I was or anything. I'm just sitting there and I'm listening to everything. So we get done with the meeting and Bill Schwing goes, now, I'm sorry, who are you again? And I said, I'm Grant Napier. He goes, oh yeah, yeah. I talked to you on the phone. He goes, so what is it do you want to do? I said, well, I just, you know, anything that you might need. And he said, well, he goes, you know, this is national TV. I can't just let anybody on TV, but I do need someone to do the halftime. Mm -hmm. He said, uh, how about you come to the stadium three hours tomorrow before the game and I'll give you an audition. And if the audition works out, you can do the halftime show. I go, great. And I said, I completely understand. I said, I said, 
I understand how it works. If I'm not good enough, no problem. I understand. So I get to the stadium three hours before the game starts, and they had all these technical problems, and I couldn't do an audition. So now I'm in the TV booth, hanging out in the back. First quarter begins. Second quarter begins. And I said to the stage manager, I said, hey, can you ask uh, uh, Bill for me if I'm going to be doing the halftime or not? Because I'd like to prepare something. Four minutes left to go in the first half. She goes, okay, Bill said you're doing the halftime. Oh, geez. <laughs> okay? Yeah. <laughs> and he, she, she says, you're going to interview the commissioner of the conference, and you're going to do some stats and highlights. Now, I've never been on TV before. This is national TV. Never been on TV before. But all my life, I've been practicing as if I were on TV. Now, was I nervous? Yeah, of course I was nervous. But I wasn't nervous because I thought I might fail. I was just nervous with butterflies, probably like you were coaching big games. Sure. You know, you, you get the adrenaline. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah. But not because you aren't prepared. Now, you might get beat, but you're prepared. You, sure. might, you might get beat because you lost to a better team, but it's not for lack of preparation. Right. And I kid you not, I'm sitting there in, in, in Fresno, California, at the California Bowl, and I did – the, the interview, we go to commercial, I come back, I do a couple of highlights, and I felt like it went well. So after the game, when I'm walking out of the stadium, I am happen to be walking by the TV truck, and Bill Schwing just happens to come out, and he goes, Grant! He goes, oh, my God, and he goes, you have no idea how nervous we were all in that truck, but you did a great job, and we wish you the best of luck, and blah, blah, blah. So I get back to Bowling Green, and about three or four months later, I run into a sports director at the ABC TV station in Toledo, who I used to see all the time because Bowling Green and Toledo, as you sure. know, it's 20 minutes apart. Yeah. And he comes up to me and he goes, I didn't know you did TV. I said, I didn't know I did TV either. <laughs> yeah, but and he said, well, listen, I got six weeks vacation this summer and our weekend guy is filling in for me and we need someone to fill in on the weekends. Would you be interested in coming up and doing an audition? I said, yeah, I would love to. I'll never forget it because it was my birthday. It was June 18th, uh, 1983. And I went up to the TV station and the news director meets me and he goes, okay, he goes, just write a couple of scripts and then I'll meet you in the studio. Well, I don't write anything. You know me. Yeah. I don't ever have anything written down. All my commercials, everything I ad lib. And I'm like, wow, okay. So I write some scripts. He walks me into the studio and I'm, I'm overwhelmed. You know, there's all these cameras and lights and I'm in a real live TV studio. And he goes, okay, here's the teleprompter. And he goes, you operate the teleprompter with a foot pedal right down. It's like a sewing machine. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. Now I'm, I'm so nervous. I don't normally read off scripts. And so I do the audition. And the news director goes, would you like to do it again? And I said, well, you don't get a chance to do it again when you're live on TV, do you? And he said, no. And so I get a call three days later. They said, hey, they, they, you're good. We'd like you to fill in on the weekends. $5 an hour. I'm like, perfect. I don't need any money, you know? Mm -hmm. But then I had been working in Bowling Green at this radio station after I graduated and the station was sold and it became a Spanish format. So right during this time, I moved back to Long Island because I didn't have a job. And Mike Regai, who was the weekend sports anchor, would call me up sometimes on Thursday night and would go, hey, you know, I'm taking the weekend off. Can you work this weekend? I'd say, yeah. And I'd get in my car and I'd drive 10 hours stay at my buddy's house on Bowling Green, do a five-minute sportscast on Saturday, a five-minute sportscast on Sunday, and drive home. And drive 10 hours home. Yep, for five bucks an hour. <laughs> and I did that for about... Now, kids out there, those of you that want to do play-by-play, -play, do yep. sports broadcasting, 
Think about that. It was great. And you used to you learn how to work the TV camera. So I would go out and shoot all the highlights. I'd be at the Toledo Mud Hens game. And it was fascinating because when I was in Toledo, that team in Toledo went on to win the World Series with the with the twins. Kirby Puckett was on the team, mm-hmm. Gary Gaetti, Tim Tuffle, the whole team. And you know, they were yeah. the triple A of the twins and they went on to win the World Series. So but one of the neatest things that ever happened to me was I went up to Tiger Stadium and this time I brought a camera, a photographer with me. And the Tigers had gotten off to this great start of 35 and 5. And they were on Sunday, the Sunday game of the week. And I'll never forget it. We go up to Tiger Stadium and I walk in with my cameraman at the end of the game to get some interviews. And I interview, I walk by Sparky Anderson's office and it's just packed. I couldn't even get in there. So I go and I get an interview with Alan Trammell. I get an interview with Lance Parrish, a couple of the players on the Tigers, but I really need to get Sparky. So then when I get done with those interviews, I walk by and nobody's in Sparky Anderson's office. And I knock on the door and I go, uh, I go, Sparky, would it be possible to get a quick word? He goes, hey, come on in. And he goes, I don't, I don't ever recall you seeing you before. I said, well, you know, I'm just working part time. I went to college in Bowling Green and I'm, and he goes, he goes, listen, just sit down. He goes, and he didn't have a shirt on. Mm-hmm. He said, would you like me to put a shirt on? I go, no, no, it's okay. My cameraman will shoot you from the neck up. He goes, no, 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 let me put a shirt on. And so I did the interview with Sparky and I kid you not, he sat me down for 10 minutes and was asking me questions about where I was from. You know, this is like manager mm-hmm. of the Tigers that's off to a 35 and five start. They yeah. just did all of these interviews with all of these people. It was on the game of the week. Joe Garagiola and Tony Kubek were doing the game. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, I couldn't believe how kind he was. And so I had some fascinating experiences when I was working to get my resume tape up. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, and again, if I'm running on and on, tell me to shut up. But I was living that summer, the next summer with George McPhee, who won the Hobie Baker Award, in, which is the equivalent of the Heisman in college hockey. And George was to this day one of my best friends. He went and played with the Rangers, which, you know, yeah. for me, right out of college. And then he became the general manager of the Washington Capitals. And now he's the general manager of the Vegas Knights. But George and I lived in the summer and I would help him train. Uh, while I was trying to get a, a full-time job and George came in one afternoon and I had all, I had these uh, Kroger grocery bags with all my clothes in them. He goes, Napes, what's going on? I said, I just got a job. I'm leaving. And I, I literally did. I had just, I had sent all my tapes out. Now and, was that, was this a Decatur? Yeah. When you Decatur. Went Decatur, Illinois. I'll never forget. Dick Westbrook uh, gave me a call and I didn't even tell George about this. He gave me a call and, uh, uh, excuse me, I called him because I used to send 30 or 40 tapes out every two or three months, and then I would follow up with a phone call. And I called WAND Indicator. It was on my list. The receptionist, yeah, I said, yes, yeah, Dick Westbrook, please. And he says, Dick Westbrook here. I said, Mr. Westbrook, my name is Grant Napier. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, I just saw your tape this morning. I literally just had my sports guy resign. He goes, I like your work. Can you come out for an interview? It was like a five-hour drive. I went out for an interview. I came back. And then literally they called me three or four days later and offered me the job over the phone. And that's when I packed. I had nothing. I had my little Subaru hatchback and I had literally, I'm not kidding you, all my belongings in little grocery bags. <laughs> and George comes back and he goes, Napes, what are you doing? I go, George, man, I'm leaving, man. I just got a job. And I literally hung out with George for like two hours and got my car and started my life in Decatur, Illinois. Now, let me ask you, when you first got to Decatur, what was your first impression? Obviously, well, you've never really you, been that far. No. You, you know, know the, you know, I've been there. So. You know, the saying it's the end of the, it's not the end of the world but you
you can see it from there. Yeah. Decatur was the town you could see. Yeah, yeah no, I've, I've been. But you know, it was amazing when I got that job, the, the salary was $12,300 a year and it wasn't a full-time sports position. It was anchoring the sports on the weekend. And during the week I had to be a news photographer. And he said, hopefully in nine to 12 months, we'll make your position full-time sports. But for right now it's weekend sports. And so I do the sports on the weekend. And during the week, I would be a news photographer, go car accidents, uh, city council meetings. I mean, it was the worst, but yeah. you know, it, it was my job, but it was great because Lou Henson was the coach at Illinois, Illinois, uh -huh. and Mike White was the football coach. And believe it or not, that was when the Bears were, were winning the Super Bowl, the Cubs were good, and the Cardinals were good in baseball. Mm -hmm. And we used to go to all of these things. So it was a oh wow, you, oh it was so great. You got to cover, yeah. Oh, I mean, I used to go to afternoon baseball games in St. Louis when Whitey Herzog was the manager, mm -hmm. and Jack Clark was at first, and you know they had Ozzie Smith at shortstop, and they had Vince Coleman, and they had Tommy Hur at second, and they had I mean they 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 it was great. And back then we used to freelance. So what happened is we'd go to a like I would go to St. Louis for a matinee game, and I'd interview a couple of players, and I would put together a thing, and then you'd go home. When I mean go home, go back to your TV station, drive two hours, and you would edit a story. And then you'd drive to the airport, and you would ship your tape to ESPN. And then that night, I kid you not, or the next night, you'd be watching Chris Berman do SportsCenter. And you had no idea if they were going to use your work or not. Mm -hmm. And Chris Berman goes, and the St. Louis Cardinals are off to a great start. And for more on that, here's Grant Napier. That's how they would do it. Uh -huh. And they would pay you $150 if they used your work. And I would give $75 to my photographer and I would keep the other 75. And so that's how you would make extra money. But you, it was such a thrill to be in Decatur, Illinois and turn on Chris Berman and Bob Lee anchoring the sports center. And when you heard them say your name, oh, absolutely. it was just like such a thrill. Wow. And now for more on that, here's Grant Napier. And they would run your story that you would say. Yeah. But, you know, we talk about how to get started back then and all of the experience that I got working in Decatur, Illinois. It was fascinating. Well, and too, I mean, at that time, I mean, did you did you even dream of, you know, I'm obviously had dreams, you know, of where, where you could get, you know, into a big market and, and a, a more. You, you always dream. But you also know how unbelievably competitive it is. Yeah. And I got another huge break. I was in Decatur for three years, and I took off Fourth of July weekend to attend a friend's wedding. And he said, you need to come to my wedding because there's going to be a TV guy there, and I'll, um, I'm going to tell him to talk to you. So I go to this wedding, and this guy comes right up to me, and he goes, hey, you're Grant Napier. I said, yes. He goes, I'm Barry Baker. Uh, I'm the vice president of Coppola Communications. Hey, we have an opening in Sacramento. Send your tape out there and tell them that I told you to send it. Because they had owned a station in St. Louis, Channel 11. They, and they, they aired back then when I was in that part of the country. They were the home of the St. Louis Cardinals and the St. Louis Blues hockey. Mm -hmm. So I send my tape out. And three days later, I get a call from Christine Kraft. Mm -hmm. And I fly out to Sacramento for an interview, and I accept the job right there on the spot for $25,000 to be the sports director at Channel 31 in July of 1987. Okay? Yep. And I'm just so excited. I'm like, wow, there is a God. I am going to California from Decatur, <laughs> Illinois. Yes, there truly is a God. If you don't believe in God, trust me, there is one. You know, like I'm yeah, going, absolutely. I mean, like, you know, sure. you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. And, it and, same way. Right. And so I was, I could not have been. Happier, And so I, I was just getting ready to start a, my week vacation in Decatur. 
And I go back to Dick Westbrook. I go, Dick, I'm leaving. And he goes, Grant, I'm so happy for you. It's such a great opportunity. I said, Dick, here's my two weeks notice. He goes, listen, he goes, you got a vacation. You you haven't taken any sick days. Why don't you just work the rest of the week? We'll pay you for that. And if you want to, and I said, so I literally worked Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I got in my car Friday night and I drove all the way to count three days, Mm -hmm. no air conditioning in the middle of the biggest heat wave of the summer. And I get to Cater, Illinois, or excuse me, I get to Sacramento on a Sunday night, and it's 109 degrees, and they put us up at the old Wood Lake. Oh, yeah. Right right yeah. across yeah. the street from yeah. 31. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting outside having an early outside. I'm the only one sitting outside. I mean, it's too hot to sit outside. Not me. I got palm trees around me. I got water. You know, there, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know how fascinating it is when you see a palm tree for the first time. Well, and too, you know, and getting used to the Midwest, I always remember that. I, my first year or so, I'd be jogging 95 degrees, you know, but, you know, there's no humidity. Now, right. now I die on the spot. But. I got to tell you, I'll never forget being at the Wood Lake around the palm trees and just thinking that I had just literally ended up in heaven. Like that was, I'll never forget sitting out there that night night. And then, so I started doing the, I was the sports director and this is such a funny, well, maybe it's funny. might not be the right word. Interesting. I walked into the news director or excuse me, the general manager's office, December 20, it was either the 23rd or 24th, 1987 to wish the general manager, whose name was Bill Walsh, not the former football coach, but to wish him a happy holiday. And he's not in there. There's somebody else in there. (laughs) And I said, oh, I'm sorry. He goes, no, come on in. And it was Elliot Trushinsky, who, of course, is now the general manager of Channel 3 in Sacramento. And he goes, no, come on in, come on in. He says, Bill doesn't work here anymore. And I'm like, stunned. He says, I'm the new general manager. And we talked for like a half hour. And, you know, Elliot's just the best in the The world. I mean, I love Elliot. Elliot is, I can't say enough great things about Elliot Trushinsky. And then we got to develop a pretty good uh, uh, friendship. And it must have been around March. He calls me into his office and he said, hey, have you ever done basketball before? I said, yeah, I've been doing basketball since I was second grade. He goes, no, come on. Have you ever announced basketball? I go, yeah, since I've been in second grade. And I explained to him, he goes, okay. He goes, listen, we're trying to get the Kings because they were on Channel 13 for the yes, first three years. For the Tom first Curran did years, the yes. Uh-huh. And I, my heart's starting to like, wow, you know, this is now my dream. And he said, okay, well, he goes, we're, we're, so then another month goes by and he goes, okay, you're not going to believe this. We got the rights for the Kings. I'm going to see if they will okay you to do the games. Well, it was interesting because Joe Axelson was the general manager back then. And no one watched Channel 31. Like I could go out at night. No one even knew who I was after even a couple of months of doing the, the right. sports. Well, I had sent Joe a handwritten letter probably around the first of the year. Because I had come from Big Ten country, and you know what it was like back then. Sure. Bob Knight was at Indiana, Lou Henson. Yeah. You had Bill Frieder at Michigan. You had great players, and I was Illinois was great, and I was fascinated by the atmosphere. And so I sent Joe a handwritten letter back in January, and I had no idea we were going to get the Kings. I had no idea. I just said, hey, Joe, my name is Grant Nepier. I'm the sports director at 31. I just am writing this to thank you because your staff has been unbelievably nice to me and they've made me feel at home and I and I put down at the end of the letter I said I really hope the fans in this market realize how lucky they are because I just came from I put champagne I didn't put Decatur Uh where I was covering Illinois and this is even greater than the atmosphere that I was just covering so fast forward then to Elliot he had to go get 
permission. And he calls me back. I'll never forget this. He calls me back in his office two weeks later. And he said, uh, you are the new TV voice of the Sacramento Kings. And I was just like, he said, Joe Axelson loves you. He's what he said to me. He goes, mm -hmm. Joe Axelson said, you're great. He really loves you. And to this day, 32 years of announcing the Kings, to this day, I wonder if I had not written that letter to Joe, if I would have been approved to do the games. Because I don't know if Joe would have even known who I was. Because, again, nobody watched Channel 31. Yeah, that's a great, I mean, that's a great point, you know. I mean, although knowing Joe... I think uh, once you wrote the letter, I'll bet you anything he did, you know, if it intrigued him, that, you know, he made a point to uh, turn to Channel 31 yeah. a little bit. Well, you know, we had done interviews with Joe. He was the GM back then. And, you know, I mean, but, you know, it was 3, 13, 10, and then yeah. me and Jim Crandall. So, I mean, you know, I don't, uh, you know, Joe, you knew Joe inside and out a lot better than I did. But I still, I always tell students, again, Go outside the box if you want a job. Do go above and beyond. And, you know, the one thing, and you know this, the one thing that goes a long way in life is thank you. Mm -hmm. And if you are sincere with your appreciation for what someone's doing for you, that just goes such a long way. You don't even think about how simple that is, but what a huge difference that makes. I was going to say, yeah, I always tell people, too. I mean, like in coaching, I always say, looking back, I, I mean, doing volunteer work for Cotton Fitzsimmons with the Atlanta Hawks when I was in Georgia, uh, oh, Phil Johnson in mm -hmm. Kansas City when I was a college coach, you know, just being sure. available. You need extra help. You know, in those days they did. I was glad to do it. But but I mean, yep. you know, a lot of guys wouldn't. No, you're right. You a, know, a and, lot of guys and, wouldn't. And you you are I've listened to your stories, which are fascinating about how how you got to the point that you're at. And, you know, I always wonder in my life, like, had I not taken off that weekend to go to that wedding, I would have never known about the opening in Sacramento. Had I messed up on national TV on Mislu, the sports director, Jim Tishy and Toledo would have never come up to me and talked to me about filling in on the weekends. You know, if I had not gone out to the California bowl on my own expense, which was my dad's expense, I would have never gotten the opportunity to do that. So I look at the things in my life, starting with the national TV on Mislu, which led to filling in on the weekends in Toledo, Ohio, which led to my first full-time job in Decatur, taking the weekend off, which enabled me to find out about the job in Sacramento. And I end up at the station that ends up getting the Kings eight months after I get there. Yeah, but it's don't fascinating. You think, yeah, it is. And, and, you know, and I mean, and, and all that obviously played a role, but but you were prepared. I was number prepared. one, you know, and and uh, you did, you know, you did go the extra mile. I mean, now I always said, now I'm convinced that that maybe it wouldn't happen as quick, right? Or as you know, that to me, that's probably the only difference. I mean, a few things sure. you know, had to fall in place for you. But I always, I always kind of like tell young <laughs> young people, I said, you know. Uh, you know, before you, you know, they're always thinking, I want to be vice president with a corner office. It's like, well, you kind of got to kind of do a few things before right. you get that corner office. Yes. And, and you may be prepared for it for years before you get it, but you'll have to be prepared. Yes. Well, I, there was a book, uh, I used to go talk to colleges and high schools all the time. And there was a book that Warner Wolf, uh, he was a longtime sports anchor sure. in both New York and Washington, did Monday night baseball for a while. And he wrote a book and he has a paragraph and I'm going to paraphrase, uh, his paragraph, his, his, his and I'll, I'll, I'll remember it. It's, it's maybe the best paragraph I've ever read of any book in my life about what I do. And he said, you know how some people say, if you can start at the top, start at the top, 
not in this business. You need to get a job at six in the morning when nobody's listening to you. You need to be uh, in a small market where you are allowed to make mistakes. And if you make a mistake, you're not going to lose your job. That's how you make it in this business. And it's so true because when I got my first job out of college at the same station I did an internship for, WKIQ in Bowling Green, I was the morning DJ. I was an account executive, so I would go out and sell or, or get advertising during the day. And at night, I would announce games, whether it was mm. hockey or basketball. And I'll never forget being the morning DJ. Three times a week, we had the funeral report brought to you by Klotz Flowers. And I would have to literally go, well, it's now time for the funeral report brought to you by Klotz Flowers on East Wooster Street. <laughs> and I, I would have to read the obituaries, mm -hmm. seriously, three times a week. And I think back, sitting in that studio, and you know what it's like in the Midwest trying to get anywhere, getting up in the morning and fighting that 15 below zero weather and going in there and turning all the equipment on and, you know, doing those things. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, it, I look back at my career and I'm just like, you know, I'm, I, you know me, I don't, I don't, I'm a, I don't talk about myself that much, but like, I'll, no matter what anyone says to me, like, and I'm, you and I have been so blessed to do what we do. Absolutely. But I've earned every single bit of this. Like I paid my dues, Oh, you know, man. like even yeah. though I started doing this at an early age, which I was lucky to do NBA basketball at 28, like I rolled up my sleeves. I did all the hard work. Like I, I deep down feel that I, everything I've achieved in my career, I've earned. Yeah. I, I've always kind of felt the same way. You know, I remember, you know, i I haven't forgotten driving uh, vans, you know, five, <laughs> six hours, uh, you know, with, yeah. for games and taking the uniforms home to, for my wife to wash, uh, cleaning, the, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, cleaning off the floor and, and painting locker rooms and getting gyms ready yep. for games, you know, and making nothing and, and, and making nothing. Right. Uh, speaking at any any time they get five people together trying to raise 10 bucks, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> sure. you, know, you know, that sort of thing. It's uh, incredible. You isn't know, it? I mean, you, you know, you. In my mind, it's a little bit like yourself. I don't, I don't never really thought necessarily about being in the NBA, but I, I felt I deserve a chance at a division, top division one job. I've done enough sure. to do that. Sure. You know? And you're so simple. And I believe it or not, I'm really simple. The one thing I've always admired about you, you don't need to live in a big fancy house or drive a big fancy car or have great clothes. You don't care about that stuff. And my dad was like that. My dad never, ever, ever spent money on cars or clothes or anything. He spent money on us and he spent money on his children or he spent money on, you know, things that we would love to do. Like this going to the games. Yeah. Like my dad would much rather take his boys to watch the giants and jets play every Sunday than drive around in a nice car. Yeah, like that's what was important to him. I think I was raised a lot the same way. I mean, my, my, we'd go to AAA baseball games in Annapolis or Louisville, and occasionally we'd mm -hmm. get a, go to a major league game. But uh, of course, my dad I always remember my first first job I ever had working on a golf course at a resort in French Lick, and and I'd come home. You know, bitching about, geez, yeah, you know, I got to rake sand traps and and, and, <laughs> and and they're paying me six dollars an hour. And he said, he said, boy, let me tell you something. They're paying you six dollars an hour. You give them seven dollars a day's worth. <laughs> That's and, beautiful. And 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 he said you yeah. and you know and he said and, and that was kind of always stuck with me. That's you know? great. I'll tell you, you know? I love that. You know, it's funny. Uh, last year, I told Elliot when he uh, paid me to do the Kings games. I said, you know, you're very successful. 
I say, but that was the worst business decision you've ever made. He goes, how's that? I go, well, you, you paid me $300 a game to do the Kings, but what you didn't realize, I would have paid you $300 to do <laughs> <Yeah>. the games <laughs> for every game, you know? So. I always remember, too, I mean, going back, you know, I mean, of course, we worked together a long time, but I always remember, I think the first time I remember you, it was probably the lowest time of my life at that time. We were in Hawaii. Oh, boy. In a camp. Oh, boy. And just... You know, everybody wow. hurt. We had no talent. And I mean, I, I, I knew, you know, that th this can't work. This, and, this and the most I mean, miserable I remember, I've ever seen you. Yeah, you know, and it's like a, I'm by nature a positive yep. person. You but weren't I, that But, but uh, I mean, and, and I... That's uh, the only time in my life. I've People always ask me, you know, that's the only time that I've seen you like that? Like, you were almost defeated. Uh, your face and the way you were... There was no humor about you. There was no joking. And I didn't know you very well back then, but it, it was apparent that you knew you were in an absolutely impossible situation. Yeah, you know, we uh, lost Ricky Berry to suicide yeah. a, few, a few months before. I mean, it just all piled up, you know. And I, I always remember my wife. You know, we, you know, we talk, and she'd, oh, honey, you'll you'll fi you'll figure it out. You'll find a way to make it work. I said, not no, this one. No, I won't. You know, I mean, Danny, just saying that really. I'll never forget. Tough. I didn't, I got there like a day or two after the team arrived and I walked into the gym. I'll never forget this. Danny Ainge comes running up to me, literally off the practice floor. I'm like, you're not going to believe this. Ralph can't run. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, Bill Russell had traded for Ralph Sampson yeah. without even looking at him. You yeah. know, And he goes, Ralph can't run. I go, what do you mean he can't run? He can't run. And I look over, and you have Vinny Del Negro's got his uh, uh, Juwan Oldham. You have literally half your team is already unable to practice because of injuries. Injuries and it's second, or, hold, I think, or whatever. But yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And then I'll never forget going to the Blaisdell Center. And here's Jerry, and he's got a lineup of three CBA players going against Magic, Worthy, Kareem. <laughs> yeah, and, I'm, was, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, you know? that was yeah, – uh, oh. <laughs> Yeah, that was the, a, the only good part about that is we were in Hawaii, but I don't even think you appreciated oh, that. Oh no, I, I, I I'd rather been in 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 Bakersfield uh, as far as I'm concerned. You know, I was talk about yeah. uh, misery. Anyway, that was, and then you know I want to talk a little bit about you know our time together. I, I was going to say it was uh, uh, one of the things that always struck me, and and you kind of touched on it. You know, people always ask me, you know, when you work with Grant, uh, like with a, you know, do you, do you guys does does he uh, do, do a lot of preparation. I said, he doesn't have to. I said, I said, I'll tell you about Grant right now. I said, whether it's opens or, or commercials, I mean, he, he, he gets it right the first time, every time. And I said, he can do it while watching the Giants football game. <laughs> yeah. And, and he doesn't miss a beat. I said, I, I mean, I, I don't, honest to God, I don't think there's a person in America that can do that. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying he should, but <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't recommend it now. Seeing a live sporting event while watching a sporting event on your on your phone is probably not the best recipe for success. But I, I, um, you know me, I, I you can't, can do it. I can, well, first of all, not only can I do it, I have to. You do have it. to. Right. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. No, I, I have <laughs> yeah. no doubt. I mean, I've, yeah, that's that's not even a question. That is yeah. a that's mandatory. But you're, yeah, you know, just uh, uh, the we highs had a, and highs we, and lows. we had truly uh, such great times, and I'm you know how I feel. I'm so happy that you're still doing some games. Because it's um, people always you get asked this all the time. I get asked this all the time. You know, I get asked, you know, working with Jerry. And it got to a point where 
I always know what you're going to say and you always know what I'm going to say. I know when you're going to say it. I know when to lead you into things. And we had we had the best time. And oh, yeah, by the way, most of the years that you and I worked together, our team was terrible. Yeah. So we had to get through the telecast and keep our audience. And I think we did a great job of that. I think we literally had people watching games in the fourth quarter because they wanted to hear, gee, what's Jerry going to say? You know, what's we would have humor over. We, think about all the lean years that you and oh, I did games oh, for. Oh, boy. It was tough. It was, as you know, it got really tough. And uh, But I thought, uh, too, you know, the, I, I thought that we got to the point, too, where, where I, I think – I know when we started, I, I thought both of us, we probably criticized officials too much. I, I was you, very guilty of that. You know, I know I was. And, and I, I was mean, too. And it really serves no purpose. You know, I mean, totally the, agree. The, the thing I always tell people, I said, at the end of it, we've talked about this. The yep. best teams win the most games. Yep. And, and, mm -hmm. and you know, and, and calls will go against you and they'll go for you. Yep. And, you know, all that. But then I, but I think we got to the point to where, where I thought we did a pretty good job of, you know, just being uh, given credit to the other team. Yes, you know, I, I, I love the game like you do, and yes. I was like, well, I want the Kings to be the fun team, and everybody and, uh, knows that we were rooting for the Kings. But yes, but if the other team is really playing good, give them credit. Yeah, and they're and and they've got a, got outstanding you know, players. One of the one of the uh, neatest validations that I've received over the years, and I know you have too, because you've been standing next to me, is when an official comes up and says, "Hey." I just want to let you know how much we appreciate and respect the job that you do. Yeah. And they said, you're always fair to us. And it doesn't mean that you're not critical, but you're critical when we're, we need to be criticized, but you, you're not afraid to say you were wrong. And there are too many announcers that will criticize an official and then the replay will show that the official was right. And the announcers don't say, man, that's my bad. I was wrong on that. Yeah. And, and they, I'll tell you, even to this day, I have officials. And when we go to uh, the NBA broadcast meetings in the summer, I always have a couple of officials come up to me and thank me for mm -hmm. that. And and when you and I were doing the games, it happened on a regular on basis. On a regular basis. And that, really I like that because, you know, I think a lot of people forget coaches, players, referees, broadcasters, you know, we're all trying to accomplish the same goal, and that's to make the league great, mm -hmm. right? Right. And we all have different roles, but we are all really under one umbrella. And and I was critical of the officials when I started doing the games, and so were you. Yes. And I learned that, first of all, I was wrong most of the time, and second of all, it, it's if it, I put myself in the shoes of a the viewer. I don't want to listen to an announcer rip the officials all game. And I when I used to listen to other announcers, it turned me off. So I stopped doing that. Yeah, no, I, that thing I noticed yeah. just from watching other broadcasts how much they do, and it it yep. just takes. And and like I say, I I under fully understand that that it's impossible to call a basketball game. Flawless. Can't. And you're it's impossible miss. to announce a game flawlessly. Yeah. You're, you know, I've always said, you know, when you, it bothers me a little bit. We've talked about this where players will go up to, you know, bitching all the time, which yep. overdoing it. But I said, yep. how would they like it if would they miss a layup and the referee runs up to him and says, ah, Jesus, what do you do? Miss right. that layup. You know, yeah. same thing. It is like, the same thing. Come on. Uh, you know, yeah. just have respect for the profession. But, you know, and, again, and with everything being under a microscope these days, uh, because of social media, and everything is instantaneous more than ever. I think that, and I, I, I get this sense when I go to the league meetings and we're all under one roof with the commissioner and everyone else. We're all in this together. We all benefit if the league's doing great. Okay. Yes. When the league's not doing great, like baseball right now, there's a domino effect. And then all of a sudden it's what's wrong with this sport. And it's not, 
I love being a part of the NBA because it's still such a strong league. Does it have some issues? Yeah, every yeah. every sports every league does. Every sport does. You know, the, the issue in China right now is a, a, a big issue, and there's others. But for the most part, you have a commissioner who I think has done a marvelous job. And the thing about the NBA, as you well know, they're always thinking ahead. They're, they don't think that everything's great and everything's hunky-dory and they don't have to fix. They're always trying to tinker with the game. Not always for the best. You would admit yeah, that. No. But, but they're not afraid to try they're not afraid to experiment. They're not like even right now with their thinking of the proposal of having a midseason tournament, yeah. which I'm not necessarily crazy about. But I like the idea of the playoff format that they're well, talking I do, about. I do like, you know, some of their ideas. I don't really like the midseason thing much. I, I'm just not sure about that, you know, but I like the idea of maybe play ins. Yeah, you know, I think and, that would be or, exciting. Certainly, I'm really be in favor of just the 16 best teams being seated and 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 move on i yep. think with charter flights like they are sure there'd be some issues but last time i checked nobody's playing back to back yeah. In, in the playoffs. No, you're, that's you, right. You know, there's, I mean, there's same time. for both teams, you know. And you could change it where you would do a 2-3-2 two, two format. So if you had a West Coast team playing an East Coast team in the first round, you wouldn't, if it went 7-2-2-1-1-1, two, two, one, 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 it would, that you'd go 2-3-2. Two, two. Yeah. So, it, 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 yeah. But, so we'll see. But, uh, you know, again, I go back to what you brought up about working with you and how many great, uh, we had so many phenomenal moments. Um, uh, you know, I always tell people the greatest line, I'll never forget, we were sitting on the bench in San Antonio about 15 minutes before TV, and it was the final week of the season. And you go, you know, you know what's the most important part of our job, don't you? And I go, what's that? <laughs> and you go, to convince people that they're not seeing what they're actually seeing. <laughs> yeah. I just thought, yeah, I was going to say. I, I mean, go, is there a better life to convince people that they're not seeing what they're actually seeing? Yeah, That's the greatest say, thing I've ever well, heard. I was going to say, you know, when you're rolling along with 23-win season about <laughs> that you. time, you know, and, uh, you, got, you know, and it's, uh, yeah. it, and, and, you know, like I say, it's, it's, it was, I always said too, it's always a case that's like, even with those bad teams, well, you can, Okay, uh, the team's bad. Boy, Kevin Martin's really scoring well. Yeah. Or, or Francisco yeah. Garcia's got a lot of uh, potential. You know, that sort of thing. You know, yeah. you can always find something always. without taking away from the, the obvious of it. I know this is your show, but I want to ask you a question. Because every place I go to, I have people come up to me and ask me how you're doing. And please say hello to Jerry. Do you miss even some of the travel? Do you miss some of that camaraderie that you get with individuals that you've known for 30 and 40 years on the road that now you don't get a chance to have because you're not traveling? Yes, I do. I mean, really, that, that's the part you miss, you know, uh, just, and even, you know, with doing the pre and post game, you know, I really don't have the time uh, just due to the different sure. times to really visit with a lot of those people. So yeah, I miss that. I think that's uh, probably the thing you, I worry about maybe the most when you when it's time to totally yeah. get out, you know. But uh, yeah, I think you know that our job. The one thing it does, it really keeps you young at heart because you're always laughing. Oh yeah, there's, there's just no substitute with being around the guys, regardless of whether it's the players on your team or the the coaches or the the colleagues that we have or you know I I know the favorite thing for you was always to sit on the bench before the game talking with another member of the uh, another organization or a scout or whatever and you would just sit there and talk for 30 minutes and yeah. those are the things that to me I'll miss the most when it comes time to not do the games oh. that that that's like maybe the best part of our job oh i think so really i mean and you know people that 
in the same line of work and they yep. understand and 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 you have a you know that you develop a trust factor with that you can talk to them about maybe some issues That's that right. you wouldn't and, and they'll 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 honor that you know and yeah, I mean, well you know who you can trust and who you can after a while in this yeah league. you know the other thing I, i've always said too is is those broadcasters when the team wasn't doing well a lot of them but i always said the thing the thing that we had we had a great team it was a broadcast team. That's right. And so we, you know, it's, it's a little mm -hmm. different, you know, you have your own little niche there. That's right. And, and this could really enjoy all the people. We were lucky. That, very lucky. Right. And you know yeah. what else we were lucky about? We didn't have interference from management in terms of the way you and I did the games because we weren't afraid to be critical of the team and we weren't afraid to praise the other team. I know a lot of announcers in the league and I won't mention their names that have come up to me and said, boy, I watch your games and I wish I could announce the games the way you do, but we're not allowed to. Yeah, no, I'm sure you that know. that probably happens a lot more right. than than we realize. Sure. So, so you know, it's very fortunate. And I and like I say, I think uh, you know, in today's situation, you know, when you when you have a Vladi Divac, you know, running the franchise, I mean, in a sense, I mean, one of the more obviously uh, likable people that's ever Top played for the Kings, yep. and and uh, you know, and then I think Coach Walton's really's got an easy presence Incredible. about him, you know. So that makes everything better. And, and sure I does. mean, I won't go get into names, but there's been a couple of coaches in the past that were very difficult to be around. Sure. And didn't really want to be around. <laughs> yeah. And uh, makes the job a little harder. But when yeah. you have your own team, uh, it, it's all still doable. You know, I haven't really sat down. I know you did when you wrote your book and everything. And I, I'll do this one time, but like, I'd have to write down on paper all of the coaching staffs that I've been through since 1988. Mm -hmm. It's just amazing yeah. how many, and back then, as you know, there was one head coach, one assistant <laughs> yeah, coach. Now there are more coaches than players. It's just hard to keep track, you know. <laughs> and all the No, it's really changed, yeah. and, and I'm glad to see a lot of people get work, but I don't know yeah. that it's I all know. necessary. But but I do think, you know, looking back, some of the, the, the guys that I probably feel you know, closest to or, or maybe a little sorry for when they lose jobs as assistant coaches. Yeah. Because I know they don't make as much and they don't get as much credit. Yeah. And I've been there. And so I think, you you know, you, you see that a little bit. You yeah. Know? You know, I think the most, uh, the biggest people always ask me, what's the biggest change from when I started doing? The biggest change is that now every single word that you say is dissected. It is out there for the whole world to see within seconds of when you say it. And you have to be so careful not to say the wrong thing, to offend anyone, uh, discriminate. Um, I've always made a pretty simple rule when I'm doing my radio show because it's so spontaneous and it's so at times inflammatory and at times the debate can get out of hand. Stay away from race, sex. Uh, stay away from all of those areas now, which are just throwing gasoline on a hot fire. Yeah, you're not, that you can't right. win. You, you just can't. And I, I, it, it, and I don't mind saying this here. It has really bothered me to see some of my colleagues in the NBA lose their jobs over one sentence that was so innocent to them and had no, uh, not even the slightest hint of discrimination from what they intended it to be and they end up losing their job. Yeah, you know, you know, you think to be a little a little more understanding. Uh, you know, just of, so of sad. like, you know, uh, you know, to, to, why should this cost a guy I know his livelihood? Right. 
Right. You know, it's a mistake. Right. You like know, Tim uh, Ryan of the 49ers, his radio analyst, got suspended for the New Orleans game because of a remark he made about Lamar Jackson and, and the football against the dark uniform and his dark skin. You know what? They didn't fire him. They said, OK, you know what we need? We're going to suspend you for a game. Mm-hmm. OK, regardless of what you believe in or don't believe in, that was the right way to handle that. Yeah. Uh, but some other announcers that have lost their jobs, it just. But so so going back, I don't want to get off on a tangent here. I, I have a microphone in front of me every day on my radio show and TV. And, I, when, and when you stop working, I told Doug, I go, Doug, I'm going to give you a little bit of I'm going to I'm going to help you out here. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, you can do whatever you want, whatever. But I'm going to tell you right now, these are the areas that you would be better staying away from if you want longevity and you want everyone to love you. Yeah. And I go, when I mean love you, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people don't like the way I do my radio show, but as long as they're listening, but they don't it's not because. I'm saying uh, something that would discriminate religion, ethnicity, you know, sex, yeah. or, you know, whatever. Yes, yeah, different, I stay, of a, different you know what opinion. They, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I'm okay with that. So I've, I told Doug, and when we were going through a couple of delicate social issues in Sacramento early in his tenure with me doing the radio show, I go, Doug, you have a microphone in front of you. I'm not going to tell you what to say or what not to say, but I'm going to just give you a little advice before we start the show. If you get into this, you'll never get out of it. Mm-hmm. And it won't go away. So you can handle it however you want. And you you are entitled to your opinion. And no one's ever going to tell you that you're not. But understand that everything that you say has consequences, even consequences that you are right now thinking about. Because all it takes are an individual or individuals to get together. And then you have the political correctness and all everything else yeah, that's man. in play. That's so right. I, I and I have no problem saying this right here because I've said it on my radio show. We, unfortunately, live in such a sensitive society now that what what could have been perceived as just an innocent, funny joke even five years ago now can cost someone their job. Well, not, you know, too. And we said, uh, like, you know, the the great comedians, almost none of them work college campuses. How about that? You know, which That's tells right. you a lot. That I mean, does tell you a lot. You, you thought that would have been impossible I know. 20 or 30 years ago. You but, know, but uh, listen, so you and I have been through a lot. And I'm, I'm grateful that we're able to chat and, and reminisce because the, t- the one thing that's changed is the fact that technology has changed. And you and I started doing this when we were traveling commercial and we'd get a 4 a.m. wake up call, oh, when we, you know, and all of that. But the one thing that hasn't changed are the, the great people that are in our profession. Oh, they're, they're great. I and, mean, really. You know, and, uh... and all the stories and all of the because, you know, we're all in a kind of a fraternity. Like yeah. when you talk to Larry Bird, you know, you don't see Larry Bird all the time, but you guys have had the same life in terms of all of the people you've met and all of the travel and everything else. And, uh, you know, we're, all, we're almost like in a, the, the basketball bubble and that yeah. never burst. And that's the thing I've loved the most about doing all the games on yeah, TV. I think, I think with, with pr- pretty much everybody in the, kind of that, like you say, the, the kind of the professional bubble, you know, you you don't you haven't exactly walked down the the same road they've been on, but you know where it is. You know you know where <laughs> yeah. it is. It's, yeah. it's you know it's pretty it's it's kind of similar in a lot yeah. of ways. And I, you know, and so I I think that you know uh, one thing I wanted to touch before we go is is that you know I, I of course enjoyed working with you so much and and people always say uh, do you miss I said that sure I do uh, you know that's the most fun it's a, sure. the, doing games is fun I mean you know the pre and post games are a little different right. but I said the thing that does bother me is things don't come to me as quick as they once did you know I mean used to be 
I didn't have to prepare. I knew everybody. Sure. And, and, you know, and it's, it's, it's gotten tougher. And I, you know, yeah. as a, as a senior citizen, yeah. you know, you, you, you have to deal with that a little bit. And I know that, that it's kind of the thing I can't do forever, you know, and I yeah. don't want to be, you know, kind of like Johnny most, well, the big left-hander over to, <laughs> yeah. over to number 47. Yeah. You well, know, that's that, why I have so much respect for Gary Gerald. Cause I think he's 77 now yeah. and radio play by play is so spontaneous. And it's so, I don't know if I could do that when I'm that age. I hope I can, but I mean, yeah, it's I mean, just part of life. Seem to, I, I don't right. believe he's missed a beat. But, I, yeah. So, I mean, the he, Vince Scully's of the world and those, uh, it's, it's, uh, I, I'm fascinated by that because it's, it's the unknown. You now are, you know, in, in your mid seventies where you know, I don't know what it's going to be like for me. Everyone's different. I, I hope I'm like you where I'm your age and I'm still part of the organization. Cause I got to tell you, like if I, if they took the organization away from me, it would be taking away a big part of my life. Oh, no question. You yeah. Know? You know, it, it definitely, yeah. it, with, with the energy you have and all that, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. really, no, I, I yeah. get that. I mean, it, it yeah, it, it, well, you know, because you, you just don't know you got to have a void, something to fill a void there. There's, there's no doubt. You have to. And you, people that aren't, that, that don't do what we do, don't quite understand. But I probably, you know, know you. You're like a part of my family. And the people that we've, the Pete Youngmans of the world and all of yeah. those, they're really a part of our family. And that's all I've known my entire adult life, pretty much. And so you have your own family with your wife and your kids, and your kids then grow up and they leave, and it's your wife. And, but you're with yeah, your you're, basketball family more than you're with your yeah. own family. And I don't know if people fully realize how much of like people always say, well, gee, you know, you're, you're too much of a homer or, you know, you shouldn't be, wait a minute. I, I live with this family. I, I, there's no way you can, you can't have it both ways. You can't do what we do every day and live with this team every day. And then say, I'm going to be 100% objective and I'm not going to be a homer and I'm not going to really root for the, that's not humanly possible. Well, no, and I, I, I mean, I've, I've made it clear. I am a homer. <laughs> okay. I am for the Sacramento Kings. Right. You know, now I try to be fair, but I'm not, I'll never. I don't either. Deny. I mean, right. there's a, you know, come on, you know, why, why yeah. would I want to do it? You know? And I mean, yeah. that, that's it, but Hey, I know you've got other things to do. And then that's the other amazing things about this guy. He, he's going to be on radio now pretty soon. Yeah. Four straight hours. I always remember when you did it by yourself. Sure. You know, I mean, I, 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 you know, I, the one thing, like I'm, I'll give you an example later uh, in December, I'm doing a, a, a Sacramento Kings game on a Saturday night against Phoenix. And then Sunday night I'm in Denver and then Monday morning, I'm doing the Jim Rome show down in Southern California. And I used to, you know, I used to do arena football. And there were times we'd be doing a game in L.A. And I'd have to get on a red eye to get an arena game in New York on the next day and then meet you in Portland the next night. Yeah. And I've always wanted to do that my whole life. I always used to grow up. And when I used to see uh, the network sports announcers in New York on this day and two days later in L.A., I was like, man, I want to do that. And you know how much I love flying, like travel and flying is my passion. And unlike you, I can be on an airplane every day. And so for me, like I get invigorated and I like like if you told me, OK, Napes, I need you to do an, a basketball game in L.A. on Sunday. I need you to do a hockey game in New York on Monday a basketball game in Portland Tuesday, and then another hockey game in Chicago on Wednesday, I would be so excited. Like for me, that is the, that's, that's the ultimate uh, achievement. I don't need to do the Super Bowl. I don't need to do, or, I just love doing games in one city one night 
the next city the next night, fly all night, because it's a challenge for me. And I know you think that's crazy, but I, I, that makes yeah. me go. That makes hey, me tick. Now, and, and that's a great one to, to, to end <laughs> on because that is Grant Napier. I'm serious now. That is Grant Napier. One in a zillion. And uh, my goodness, I mean, you tell me. So uh, <laughs> when you desire you young people out there to be a play-by-play, just keep that in mind now. That's what it takes. So uh, anyway, but anyway, it's just been great having you. And, Anytime. And I, just, I enjoyed it. You know, I tell you what, and uh, obviously, you know, we've, I don't think we've ever had a bad day. We've so, never had a bad day uh, yeah. other than that one day at the gym in Hawaii. You've oh, never boy. had a bad day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a bad, that was a bad month. Yeah. But anyway, so thanks for coming. My pleasure. Let's do it again down let, the road. Let's do. So yeah. uh, again, and uh, just, uh, just keep doing what you're doing. Every day, just wake up. And uh, as you said, every day is a good day if you wake up, right? Every day is a good day if you wake up. <laughs> hey, guys, I really hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. My team and I are trying hard to bring you the best interviews with some really great folks here locally. I need to ask you a big favor. If you can just take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe, that will help us out a ton. If you go to thejerryrentalshow.com, you can fill in those five blank stars and leave a quick review. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time.